We're wrapping up our series on all in today. What it means to go all in. We've been looking at our key verse this, this whole series, and I want to look at it one more time. It's in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It's not on the screen, but you've, if you've been here a number of times, you've heard this verse over and over and over again. It's where Jesus said, whoever is a disciple, you know, if you are a disciple of mine, you're going to deny self, you're going to pick up your cross, and you're going to follow me. That is the most powerful, one of the most powerful all-in verse that Jesus put out there for disciples. In fact, Jesus said in the verse previous, in verse 22, that I'm going all in. I'm dying on the cross for the sins of the world. And so the least that you can do is to go all in for me and to go all in for the Lord Jesus, to, to, to deny self, to surrender self, to die to self, and, and, and to surrender and follow me. And that, that's what we've been focusing on for the last few weeks. And, to, and we look at different ways to go in all in. Last Sunday, we talked about going all in, about sharing your faith, about being, a, being an inviter, bringing someone to church, tell someone about Jesus. You know, open your mouth and be bold and go in all in. And all in disciples, he can't contain himself. And all in disciples, he has to tell somebody that somebody got to tell somebody about Jesus. And that's what an all-in disciple does. And I know for some of us, that's scary to think about. Or talking to someone about Jesus. And, 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 and I always tell people, listen, it takes a couple of times. Sure, the first couple of times, it's a little nerve-wracking. But the more you do it, after that second or third time, it, it starts to become a practice, a, a, a healthy spiritual habit where you've got the confidence of the good news of Jesus, where you can tell someone about Jesus and invite them to church, or whatever that might be. Read the room as you read the situation. You know, say, hey, this is an opportunity for me to, to tell them a little bit more about who Jesus is. So it might just be enough time for you to say, hey, why don't you come to church, you know, and, and give them a card or tell them about what, what's going on here at Lake Point. But be an inviter and let them hear the gospel of Jesus, which can change their life. And we said that people will come if someone would invite them. And so I challenge you this week, be an inviter. And today I want to talk about going all in with a full house. With a full house. Going all in. Now having a full house, that's a, that's a good hand. If you've got a full house going on, you know, you might just be, you might just go all in in that game with a full house. That's a pretty strong hand. Now, today we're going to talk about what it means to go all in with a full house. Now I want you for just a minute, if you can, I want you to imagine. Just imagine, because none of us are, but I want you to imagine that you are Jesus, the Son of God, okay? Can you put yourself in the shoes for just a minute? You have been given the most important assignment that anyone has ever been given. And only you can fulfill the mission. In fact, the fate of the world, it rests on your shoulders. And, 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 and you are truly the only way to make humanity right with the creator of the universe, God the Father. And it all comes down to you, it all comes down to your ministry. In fact, it's a ministry of life and death. Furthermore, you only have three years 
to complete the mission. So the question is, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? What's the strategy? What's the plan to accomplish this, this big, most important mission? Where do you spend most of your time with? Well, do you? Maybe some of you would say, well, no, I'm going to go to the synagogue. And I'm going to talk to the top leaders. I'm going to let them know that, hey, I'm, I am the son of God, and I'm here to, to tell people about the future kingdom, the kingdom of God. You know, maybe that's the plan. Well, maybe, maybe for some of you, if you're thinking, well, you know what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go hire a PR agent. You know, and I, I'm going to kind of market myself a little bit. And in fact, I'm going to announce that I'm going to have a miracle working festival in the middle of Jerusalem. And I'm just going to do miracles all week. And I want people all week long to see that I am truly the son of God. The question, what, what, what do you do? What do you do? What, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? You see, Jesus never fails to either surprise or to shock us. In fact, what you would expect Jesus to do, he doesn't do. And what you don't expect Jesus to do, he does. Now, what did he do? How did he accomplish the mission? What, did, what was his plan? What was his strategy? Where did he spend most of his time? You know, when you look at the life of Christ, you know, after he was baptized, he was sent to the wilderness, the desert, for 40 for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil, and then after, the, after that 40 days, Jesus kicked off his ministry, and how did he kick it off? He started his ministry by finding 12 men, 12 guys who would be his disciples. In fact, Jesus would spend the vast majority of his time over the next three years not healing the sick, although he did that, and not teaching to the large crowd, although he did that, but he spent the vast majority of his time with a small group of 12 men. Jesus knew that his work, it would be exhausting. He would minister to people like no one else had ever ministered to people. He would expand an enormous amount of spiritual energy that, that no person had ever possessed. He knew that he had to be constantly refueled because you never get a break from being the son of God. He never took a vacation from, you know, from healing, from teaching the people. He never took a break. And so one of the ways that we saw Jesus recharging his batteries, refueling his spiritual energy, was being in a small group of disciples. He believed in the importance of biblical community. Jesus did not lead the Christian life alone, and he taught his disciples that they were not to live the Christian life by themselves. And that's one of the main reasons why we are even here today. How has Christianity survived over 2,000 years? Why didn't the movement stop with Jesus and his disciples? How did a few disciples morph into what is called the church today with over 2.5 billion people claiming to be a member of it? You go back 2,000 years when the church got started. 
And that's when you find the secret. The early church it exploded in growth. In just a few short weeks, it gone from a small group of people. They had morphed into a crowd of 20,000 people. That church would pop up overnight. And what's cool is that this 20,000 group of people broke all barriers and cultures across the, uh, uh, all along the way. There were 15 different nationalities. I mean, in this group, it broke all the rules back then. It broke all the rules. They had, you know, it, it didn't matter if you were rich or poor, men and women, slave or free, if you were Greek or Romans. You know, and here's a mighty group that all happened, and it was one thing for them to come together, but it was another thing for them to stay together. And not only was it one way to stay together, but it was another thing for them to grow together. And how did they grow? How in the world did that happen? I want you to look here in Acts chapter 2. Uh, this is where we're going to hang out for a little bit today. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, the Bible says that the church, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I want you to notice the two words that's so important in this verse. It's the word together, and it's the word homes. Together and home. And together, they were together, they gathered together in their homes. In other words, they went from their large gathering to a small group. And this was the secret sauce of the early church. I want you to think about this. Long before the church had buildings, budgets, and baptistries, they had kitchens, dinner tables, and living rooms. You see, God knew then what I want us to learn today, that church is not about religion, church is not about denomination, church is not even about location. Church is all about relationships. It starts with a relationship with God the Father and God the Son. And there's a relationship with all of us. A vertical relationship and a horizontal relationship. I mean, I mean, think about this. Tens of thousands of people in the early church, they become followers of Jesus overnight. There were no church buildings like we have today. In fact, you know, church buildings didn't pop up until the third century. For 300 years after, after the resurrection of Jesus, there was no church building. So how did the Jesus movement happen? How did it grow? How did they come together? How did they get together? How did they stay together? How did they grow together? They did it in biblical communities. They did it in small groups. They went all in at a full house. They believed in the importance of doing life with others. They understood Learn your lesson from Jesus that you come to faith alone, but you don't live the, the Christian faith alone. You need others. Everybody needs somebody. I mean, even Batman, right? Even Batman needed Robin. Right? Even Han Solo needed Chewbacca. 
Uh, even the Lone Ranger, which is kind of crazy, he's the Lone Ranger. But even he needed a tanto. Uh, and so, hey, everybody needs somebody. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about what it means to go all in. What happens when you go all in on a full house? What happens to small groups? What happens when biblical community happens? I want to give us three thoughts here this morning on seeing what it means to go all in and why we should. Number one, when we get together in groups, what happens is that we, we, begin to seek, we begin to seek God's glory together. We begin to seek the glory of God together. We glorify God when we do life, not alone, but with others. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The Bible says that they devoted themselves. In other words, it wasn't half-hearted. They were devoted. They were all in. They were all in. So they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. In other words, it was a community, right? Centered around Christ. It wasn't centered around soccer or a book club. It wasn't a community centered around a neighborhood association. It, it was centered around Jesus. And they didn't just get together when it was convenient. They didn't just come together when there was nothing else going on or nothing else to do. They devoted themselves to coming together. This was a priority. This was on top of the calendar, on top of the to-do list. Before anything else got on the calendar, they put small groups. They prioritized groups and biblical community to their group. And these early Christians could not even conceive of not being in a small group. The true Christianity alone never crossed their mind. And so the early church, they, they needed each other. When they were together, they didn't, just, they didn't just eat a meal, you know, and eat and beat it. You know, they, they, they studied the Bible together. They took meal, they ate together. They talked to the Lord together. They were doing what we call doing life together. And this is so important. I don't want you to miss it. If you're taking note, the first Christian we were not just committed to Christ, but they were also committed to other Christians. They were not just committed to a personal relationship with God, they were committed to spiritual fellowship and biblical community with each other. And that's why we read it, you know, in verse 42, that they were devoted to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need real fellowship, every one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus. The kind of fellowship that cannot really take place on a Sunday morning. It's hard to do that on a Sunday morning. You say hi to people, and, 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 and sometimes we, got, we, we think the idea of fellowship is, is shaking hands and saying hi. But I'm talking about real fellowship. If when you're going deep, and, 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 and doing life together, you, you can't do that in the hallway. You know, you can't really, you know, hey, let's, let's go deep, embrace the mess, or talk about those things that are rough. Kind of hard and kind of awkward, really, you know, to do that in, in the hallways and, 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 and take 30 minutes and have that conversation. I mean, we're, we come to church on Sunday morning, we gather for worship, 
And then after church, you know, your stomach is hungry. They want to eat. You know, you say hi, you give some hugs. I mean, those are wonderful things, but that's not real fellowship. Real fellowship is where you're connected to other believers in a very real, real way. And the reason why the early church got big and grew bigger was because it got small and it stayed smaller. And it did that through small group. Listen, this is, what, this is my prayers. This is what I want for Lake Point Church. So take a note, just two things. I want our church to grow bigger. And at the same time, I want our church to stay smaller. And says, God, that sounds like an oxymoron. How, how, how in the world does that make sense? He said, I want our church to have more people to preach to. I want our church to have more people to disciple, more people to serve, more people to love. But at the same time, I also want to move people out of rows into circles. Rows into circles. Hard to meet people in rows. Hard. But here's what I know. If you don't attend a group, you will miss out on being connected. I've seen this over and over and over again in 20 plus years of ministry. It's the people that decide to do ministry and life alone, you know, the Christian life alone, they rarely stay in one place. They rarely stay at one church. Over time, they drift away. They fall between the cracks. That's why when you're in a group, you know, you're connected with others. You get to, you get to stick around more. You're connecting more. And here's what happens when you find the right small group. I call it mom and pop Christianity. How many of you like going to, when you go visit, you know, uh, anywhere? I mean, I like, even around here, you know, I like to find the restaurant, the mom and pop restaurants, right? How many of you, are, like, you like to do that? You like to find that, the, you know, get away from the chain sometime, you know, and I got my favorite chains, you know, don't get me wrong, but sometimes I like to go to the mom and pop, you know, where everyone's down to earth, you know, everyone knows each other by name, you know the food's gonna be, you know, extra special good, you know, home cook almost. I, I, I have a, uh, when I lived in Pensacola, Florida, down in the south, you know, I had a mom and pop barbecue restaurant I always went to. I mean, just about once a week I go there. And, and, and that's just, that's just, I mean, they know me so well, you know, they, they, you know, I call them sweetie, they call me sweetie. Uh, we've got that kind of relationship. Everybody's a sweetie. You know, hey, sweetie, what do you like to have today? I said, I, you know what I want. So we know what you want. They know what I want. You know, so you want the regular? You know it, sweetie. You know, and they take care. And, and, and we went there a couple months ago. It's been, it's been a while. By the way, if you're wondering what restaurant the Smokey's Barbecue, and, I, you know, some people, I know, Lonnie's been there. I've told Lonnie, got to go, you know. They haven't changed the curtain, the carpet, the chairs in 30 years since I've been there. And when we walk in there, I, I, it was funny because we walked in there a couple months ago, and it's been a while since I live in Pensacola, but I sit down and I start seeing the familiar, the, the familiar faces. I thought, he's still alive. He's still here. He's still, oh, it's good to see you. Wow, you know, I feel like, you know, a thought of the earth kind of people. And that, you know, that's what small groups should be about. It's just mom and pop Christianity. We just kind of let your hair down a little bit and get real. You know, to be able to, you know, over time build a trust 
we're, 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 they get past the facade. And they get to know the real you, and you get to know the real them. And what's breaking your heart, what hurts your heart, they hear it. And when things happen, when things are falling apart, they come together for you, for you, for them. A place where you love and to be loved. A place to serve and where you are served. Where you together, you get to learn God's word as a group. We are to seek the glory of God together. And we glorify God. Listen, we really glorify God when we come together. When we say, you know what? I don't want to live the Christian life alone. That's not what we're wired to be. We were wired, we were made for connections. Well, uh, listen, we're living in, uh, in a world of unknowns. And, uh, there, there, so much we're hearing, so much we're seeing. And I can't think of a more important time in our lives where we need each other now. Where we need to, to, to connect and do life together. Here's the second thought. We are to, when we come to group, we're to show God's goodness together. We, we, we see in the next few verses, what, what, what we see what's happened in these small groups, what we see here is the real secret to why the church had such unbelievable success. Uh, we see this here in Acts chapter 2, verse number 44 and 45. The Bible said all the believers were together. They had everything in common. The Bible said that they sold property and possessions to give anyone who had needs. I mean, they were doing life together, right? And then we see this amazing picture of the earliest form of Christianity. There were people who had a lot. And there were people that had little. There were people that had some things. There were people that had nothing. But everybody in the group was saying, listen, everybody was saying the same thing. But mine is yours. But mine is yours. If you need anything, you can have it. You can have it. This was not communistic. It's not communism. This wasn't forced. It wasn't socialistic. It wasn't Robin Hood, robbing from the rich, given to the poor. It wasn't even capitalism. They weren't selling each other what was needed at a Christian discount. <laughs> they just realized that they were who they were, and they had what they had because of the goodness of God. They were blessed by God. They said, we're blessed to be alive. And they gave. They loved. They showed kindness. And then the world was watching. The unbelieving world was watching this. This was so anti you know, or countercultural of the, of the way it was. I mean, everybody, it, it, it was a, you know, a, a, a world where with the survival, you know, the, 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 the survivor, you know, you had to survive in, in, in the least of the surviving world, you, you, you die. So you had, to, you had to be better than everybody else. You had to farm your own land. There was no store to go to. There was no shopping. You, you were it. And, 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 and so the strongest survived, the weakest did not. 
And so everybody was all about me, about my health, about my, my wealth, about my survival. And what these groups and the early Christians, they began to start thinking about others. They had other mindset. They started modeling Christ. They became a servant like Christ. They began to serve like he served. And they lived it out. And I mentioned this a few months ago. You know, uh, one of, one of the, the things about, this, uh, about that time period was, um, and again, if, if you were a family and, you had a, a, and a baby was born, and they couldn't afford a baby, they would dish the baby alive on the side of the road in the middle of the night. So that no one would, that they would do it under cover of darkness. And, and, and the early church, they thought, you know what, we're, gonna, we're going to walk the three set nights. And we're going to listen for crying babies. And we're going to take that baby and receive it as one of our own. That's what they did. And they were known for that. They were known for the, for the act of kindness. They were being the hands and feet of Jesus. And there were two things that, that was attractional, that, that the unbelieving world was just shocked by. Or maybe just a lesson for us here. They, the, the early church, the early small group, they were gracious to negative people. They were gracious to the negativity. I mean, if you read through the book of Acts, I mean, how many times did the disciples or the, the, the apostles in the book of Acts and, and the church leaders were thrown into prison, were thrown at court, you know, they were ordered by the religious leaders, you know, to be quiet or we're gonna, we're gonna uh, kill you. I mean, and, and, and they were not. And, and, and oftentimes, we, we, the way we thought of the, the posture of the early church leader wasn't, you know, come on, let's go, let's fight. It was, they responded with grace. They, they didn't respond with hate. They responded in a way of love. That drove the religious leader crazy. Because they couldn't stop it. That was, that was compelling. People were like, man, you know, they, they, don't, they don't fight. You know, and some of them died loving, loving their enemies. I mean, when we think about Stephen, the first martyr, he's praying. He's praying for his persecutors. He's praying for them. Why the why the Stoning him to death. And people were looking into that. And I'll tell you what one that was looking into it was a man named Paul, who, had, who was the one that ordered the killing. But he's watching us at the time. Wow. That's just something different about that guy. Because I would have responded differently. It's what Paul's thinking. He didn't, he didn't change overnight, but a few chapters later, he came to know Christ. And I promise you, if you ask him one day in heaven, Paul would say one, one of the first insight to Christianity was a guy named Stephen. 
And so the early church, they, they, they were gracious to negative people. Now, what a word for us, right? What a word that we need to hear. But they were also, number two, they were generous to needy people. They were generous. You know what I love? I hear this about late point groups all the time. I hear about someone who's in need and the people in that group. You know, you know what they don't do? Here's what they don't do. They don't call Pastor Scott. I said, Pastor Scott, you need to take care of them. And I let me know about it. And I said, well, what, what are you guys doing? Said, Pastor Scott, we've already, we've already set it up. We're going to help them. We're doing this. We're doing A, B, C, D. Someone, maybe someone's having a surgery. and said, we're taking care of the meal for the family for the week. Or we've got this situation. We're helping them out. We're just doing it. They don't, it doesn't go through an okay, you know, you need to do this for me. They just, our groups, some of our groups are awesome. They just, they just do it. I love one of our groups. Um, there are a couple of ladies in their, in their groups, and they actually um, had to escape a country in the Middle East, and they're here on asylum. They've been coming to our church. And, and they, um, the work, you know, the immigration process, it's a big mess. And, and, and the work card, you know, expired. And they applied for one a year and a half ago. And they're supposed to get a card that they told them 12 to 18 months, where it expired last month. And because they, Expired, they can't get a paycheck. Otherwise, you know, anything under the table, you know, I mean, it's just so hard now. And, and so they can't pay the bills. They can't pay the bills. They, 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 they're just trying to make it work. And, 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 and listen, they're, they're hardworking ladies. And, and, and their hands are tied. They go back to their country, they're likely to be killed for their faith. And I love this group, one of our small groups. They hear about these two ladies, and they've adopted them. Isn't it awesome? And they open their wallets. We'll, pay, we'll help. We'll help. We'll help pay the bills. And then when they can't help, they, they call me up and say, Pastor Scott, we, we, we've all pitched in. We've done the most we can. What can the church say? Yeah, the church can help. When you give, we're helping that. We're helping them get through. They're going to get their work card next month. But we just got to help them. This is what, you know what the church is all about. That, that, that's why we're here. And, 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 the, and the church world, in the early church, the, the, the unbelieving world was watching this. So much that we get to the third point here. When we get grouped together, we share God's grace together. Life group, God's grace get poured out. See the progression? 
we come together to bring the glory of God. We're honoring him by doing life together. And in so doing, we just begin to show the goodness of God. We start to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And in the unbelieving world, they're, they're watching us with microscopes. It's one thing to do church on Sunday morning, and the unbelieving world, yeah, that's what they do. But for you to actually step out of your comfort zone and to take a risk and to go all in into a full house, into a group, the world's like, huh? And things begin to happen. And life change began to happen. This was the success of the early church. This is what happened. Look at, look at here in verse 46 again and, and 47. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their home. They ate together with glad and sincere heart, praising God. Oh, there was a joy. You know, they had a joy in the, in the face of hardship like Pastor Tom talked about in his worship. He said they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And look at the result. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Life change began to happen. Ah, oh, the stories I've heard in our groups, in our life groups of life change. I want, I want to move to the takeaway here. My takeaway is this. What's holding you back from being in the group? Some of you are just missing out. You're missing out. And, 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 and you're missing out on what God could do. Some of you say, well, you know, I'm doing life alone. Listen, doing life alone, you're one phone call away from being in trouble. And you got no one to turn to because you've done life alone. I love Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Not in your handout note, but you see on the screen. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and verse 10. Two better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor. Either of them fall down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. And some of you, that's where you're at. You have the destructive cycle every day where you get up, you go to work, you eat, get home, you order takeout, watch TV, go to bed. And every day it's the same cycle, same cycle over and over and over again. And you never make it a priority to do life with other Christians. You never do. I'm telling you, you're one phone call away from being in big trouble. Where groups can come together, rally behind you, support you in your greater times of need, where you can be loved, be served, and other times where you can love and to serve others, groups. And at the end of the day, we begin, to God, we, we begin to see God change lives. I want to be a part of that culture, a culture that honors God, a culture that allows us to be the hands and feet of God and show off the goodness of God. I want to be a part of a culture where I see lives being changed. I want to invite all of our life group leaders to the platform. If you're in the room, all of our life group leaders, 
And here's what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your program. And I want you to pull out your program. Inside the program, you see a, a look like a little nice ball, pumpkin spice looking <laughs> brochure. Inside, you got 15 different groups. Listen, there's no excuse. I've got groups that meet starting tonight, all throughout the week. Some in person, but most of our in person, we have a couple of Zoom. I challenge you to get connected with the other believers. The model that Christ had for us. And uh, we have, we have um, a good looking group of leaders here. We have some others in the first service. And they're here to carry out the idea of doing life with you. Listen, we can make the groups. We can form the groups. But we can't force you to join a group. I'm going to challenge you to take a risk. To go all in at a full house. And together we see God glorified. Together we see the goodness of God show out in a powerful way. And together we can see the grace of God. God grace, life change happening. I'm excited for these group leaders. I can't wait to see what God's going to do this fall semester.